Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Memory Lane. I'm your host, Noah Hiles, and joining us today is the first ever politician on the show. It's the mayor, Sean King. Uh, Sean, how are you this morning? You need Peduto on here. He'd be the first, he'd be the first mayor, you know what I mean? Yeah, do you know Peduto? Do you get along with him? I, I know Peduto a little bit. I've met him a few times. Yeah, and the interactions I've had, he seems like a great guy. Yeah, I've, I've only had minimal interaction with him, but I have the same thing to say. So, Sean, as I take my prep for this uh, interview series very serious, I was telling you before we recorded, I was up till 2.30 last night <laughs> searching for a baseball card of yours uh, from, I think it was around 2004. And the reason I was searching for that card is because I remember as a kid reading a little fact about you on the back of it, how your first home run in Little League was one, I mean, no one ever forgets their first home run, but yours was especially interesting. Can you tell that story to get things started? Yeah, I was 11 years old and, you know, I still live in Upper St. Clair where I grew up in town right outside Pittsburgh in the South Hills and, uh, you know, there's a field down there. It's still there. It looks exactly the same. It's like almost a time warp. I'm 46 and I'm like, I can go back to 11 like that, you know. It's called Municipal Field. It's, it's, it's right next to the municipal building. You know, there's the library and the police offices. Police offices are right there. And, uh, um, and it runs on McLaughlin Run Road where Upper St. Clair High School is and it connects Bridgeville and Peters and Bethel. So it's kind of a busy road. Um, and this, uh, I was 11 years old and uh, we're playing like a night game. And that was like so cool, like a Tuesday night game, you know, like you're at school all day with your buddies. You're like, dude, we're playing a night game tonight. Like we're, you know, we're, we're so excited about it. And, you know, so um, I, I remember this one, it was like, I don't know, it was early in the game and I ended up hitting a rocket, you know, and, and, and like I said, the field sits like this and up right above, above it is that McLaughlin run road that just runs like this. So I crush a ball to right. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I think that's gone. You know? And it just keeps going. And right when it's right when right when the ball is going out, and I'm I'm rounding first base, boom! It hits this white Camaro. I'll never forget. It. White Camaro goes by. Bam! It hits the white Camaro. And as I'm rounding first and going to second, I see the Camaro pull into the parking lot. I'm like, oh, buddy! I'm like, oh god! It's, I'm like, I just hit my first home run. Hit this white Camaro. The ball, you know, comes back, you know, where we could get it. But the guy pulls in, and you know, he wants to know like what's going on. You know, and someone's like, hey, man, you're driving by like a Little League park. You got you to beware when, you know, people are hitting. So I thought it was such a cool thing, game ends. And I, I still have that ball. I still have – hang on a second. I got some balls right here that I've, I – and I thought I might – I thought I might have it. But I know – I know recently – oh, first home run is a pirate right here. Oh, look at that. Off Chris Capuano, second game, two-run homer. Hey. See, there we go. See, so, my baseball I mean, collection, I keep a little piece of paper underneath them. That way I don't write on the ball. Yeah, <laughs> and I have, like, like here's my uh, first first varsity hit. And it's, like, got a little piece of paper. Two for four against Frazier. So, there we go. That's so great. How about Yogi Berra? How about Albert Pujols? I don't have those. But <laughs> how, about Met- how about Metallica? That's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Huh? How about Evan Meek? <laughs> I love it. Everything's legit. Everything's legit. Let me see what else I got here. Bobby Cox. Hey, I, I haven't looked at these in a long uh, time. Give me something. Give me something else. Matt Caps. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Matt Caps. One of the where, best. Where we got uh, Carrie Wood threw me this one. Oh, yes. Uh, that's that's a, uh, uh, official. Look at this. Official ball, National League. 
before before they had the uh, you know before they were American National League. I think my '98 was the last year that they did that before they went to Major League Baseball. Oh, I so didn't anyway, even know they did that. As I'm talking about baseballs, the reason I'm doing that is because I just looked at that baseball recently, and I have it somewhere here. But it says I, I wrote on it: first home run hit White Camaro. And, I, and I, I, I just looked at it the other day. It's like, oh, my God, it's so cool. So I have that ball somewhere, but I'm so – so I still am so, you know, after hitting 130 home runs in the big leagues, all that, you, you think back to your life and you're like, man, that first home run in the little league is probably the, the one that goes over the fence, you know, not the one that's in the gap where there's no fence and you're just running all day. Mm-hmm. The real one that goes over the, over the fence. But I hit a car and it was just really cool. Yeah, as someone who – who also played little league on that field. I remember like telling my friends about that story and I wasn't a lefty, so we couldn't, I, you know, it wasn't really possible for me unless I was going oppo, but everyone wanted to try to hit the car kind of like you. Yes. But, yes. Um, yes. Um, and then also on that card, it talked about your first big league home run. Also interesting. It went into the pool in Arizona, didn't it? No, it was in Arizona. I had, I have hit a couple into the pool in Arizona, but I had just been traded, you know, I'd, I'd just been traded to the reds in 98 from the, for their number one starter, Dave Burba. My third day there, I got hit in the eye. So I, I had a tumultuous first few months. It was just kind of crazy. I had a, I had a four-hour surgery, orbital fracture, came back six weeks later. I, I really stunk. I went 0 for 35, and they sent me to the minors, came back, was ready to go. And I think it was like July 7th or something like that, July 8th. I, we were in Arizona, and I, and I hit an oppo home run off Clint Sadowski. And it was like July. So they had traded for me in April and I didn't hit my first home run until July, but I just still remembered. I was starting to feel good. I hit one to left center. I remember after the game, Barry Larkin, you know, kind of gave me, gave me a little jab. He's like, Hey, glad we traded for this Casey kid. He his first home run in July. I'm like, Oh, great. That's awesome. That feels makes you feel stuck. But yeah, <laughs> you always remember your first big league number two, Clint Sadowski in Arizona. I hit it left center and the pools in right center, but I would, I would hit one into the pool a couple years later. Well, Topps lied. 2004 Topps baseball card lied to me then. Cause What's it, it, said, What's it, it say? says, if you look it up, uh, like I found it on eBay, it says your first Major League homer went into the pool in Arizona. So <laughs> I've true. been living. That's not true. That is That's fake news. <laughs> um, so you mentioned getting hit in the eye. Didn't that happen from a teammate? Yeah, Damian Jackson threw me a ball in batting practice. I, I, Larkin and Damian Jackson, Barry Larkin and Jamie Jackson were, were turning to live batting practice and. Pokey Reese was hitting. He hit the ball. You know, they turned it. I, I caught it. And then I had a huge net in front of me, which is so ironic. I went to throw the ball back to the bucket. And when I threw the ball back to the bucket, another ball, Pokey had hit another ball, and I didn't see it. So I turned back. I had no idea another ball was in play. Larkin to Damien Jackson, wham, to me. And I was standing like this, and bam, it caught me right here and just shattered, like, my whole face. I mean, a couple inches – over that hits your temple it could have been a lot worse no 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 I'm so lucky Noah like looking back like you know it still have a stigmatism in my eye but I was still able to have a 12-year career like could have easily been the end of my career but I just thank God that it wasn't and you know blessed because of that so thankful so I want to talk about how you became the mayor I mean, first base is the position, you know, that's where the guys you know you talk to the people on the base and everything um were you Original, like, were you always just someone who was open for conversation, or did you, you know, work up the confidence maybe to start talking to guys? How did you become, you know, that friendly first baseman? I just always kind of had that personality, and you know, I don't know if my dad growing up was always like, you know, 
the sweetest sound that people can hear is their name. You know what I mean? Like the sweetest thing. And people like to be recognized, you know, whether you're kid, your friends or adults and, and treat people the way you want to be treated. So like those kind of all meshed into like, Hey, what's going on? You know what I mean? Kind of always had that gregarious personality, but having the, that background of like treat people the way you want to be treated, say people's names, um, you know, uh, recognize people. So, you know, for me, first base was just like a, you know, uh, just a golden position because I, you know, you're, you're really able to talk to people and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of interact with them. Did you ever have to do extra prep? Like, oh man, I don't know anyone on this team. I need to, I need to find out, you know, if anyone's had a kid or anything like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's a great question. Uh, never extra any, never did any extra prep, but like you get to know these guys so well over the years. It's such a small fraternity that like you do get to know, Hey, how's your, how your, how's your wife doing? How's your kids doing? How's what's going on here? Well, hey, how you swing? looks like you're swinging the bat like well lately. You're swinging, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, but I, you know, only a couple of times, like I remember one of my first conversations, Ricky Henderson got on when I was in uh, my, my rookie year and he comes there and I'm just so excited. It's Ricky Henderson. I'm start talking to him. Hey man, great eye. You know, it's been fun watching your career. And like, he just kind of looked at me like, are you serious? You know, like I'm trying to steal bases. Here. Yeah. Like, he took off. He was with the Mets slides in a second, you know, say, so not everybody was up for a conversation, but most people were, most people were up for a conversation. And I think the more they knew that, you know, I was just there to, uh, you know, enjoy myself. If I, if I had to play center field, no, I'd, my career would have been over in like two years. I'd have been like, I need more interaction here. You know what I mean? Because if you're at first base, it's not just the people that come to first base. You've got the first base hump. Mm-hmm. You know, I look back, you know, John Hirschbeck and I was one of my favorite homes. We had some of the best conversations just, you know, talking over there at first. So I just needed to talk to people. Did you ever – were you ever not in the mood to talk to someone but felt obligated because of your rep- <laughs> reputation? Like, oh, man, I don't want to talk to this guy, but I have to because I'm the mayor. <laughs> I mean, probably. Probably. I mean, especially if I'm sitting on an 0 for 4 or something, a couple punch outs, you know, talking to people is not probably my, my favorite thing to do at, at that time. So, yeah, there's probably a few times I was in not in a great mood or guys I didn't love that were over there, you know. <laughs> so- so a notable moment in your career uh, when you were with the Reds, you hit the first home run at PNC Park. Uh, how yeah. cool was that to hit, I mean, in your hometown? I mean, hitting a home run, regardless if it's in Little League or yeah. the majors, the first to hit a home run at a park, that's awesome. But to do it in a brand-new park in your hometown has got to be yeah. a well, moment. It's so much history, too. Like, you know, you know, I'm a Pittsburgher, you know what I mean? Like, all those years of going to Three River Stadium with my dad and, and, and my buddies and, you know, it just, you know, I, I, that's why if you go back and look at my stats at, at, at Three Rivers, I mean, I was a construction cone. I was terrible. Like, I, and I think it was because I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I'm at the game, but I, and I'm in the dugout, but I'm, I can't believe I'm, I'm a player. You know what I mean? It was like, it was surreal. And I just could never get past that Three Rivers Stadium. I just, you know, I just was never good there. So when PNC Park over, I was like, oh, good. A place I didn't grow up as a kid. Now I can really start hitting here. You know what I mean? So. Um, I remember that off season when the schedule came out, I looked and I saw, Oh my God, we're opening PNC park. That's unbelievable. It's so cool, man. I hope I have a chance to get the first hit. And I remember three days earlier, we had opened up Miller park, which is crazy. And I was, I got the, I got the first hit ever at Miller park. So I was the only player in major league baseball history to open up two parks with a hit, which is crazy. So I got the hit at Miller park and I knew like, man, the hit I really want is PNC park. Like, it's so cool to get the hit at Miller Park, but PNC Park, man, like, 
I knew I was leaving 70 tickets for the game. You know, it's Pittsburgh. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's in my blood, you know? So that day I'm usually hitting third. And that day Bob Boone had me hitting fourth. I'm like, fourth. I'm like, I don't want to hit fourth. I want to hit third. You know what I mean? So I get up there, day starting, you know, Pop Stardew had died, I think, that morning or the night mm-hmm. before, which was, you know, a somber, you know, somber national anthem. And, you know, but, but, but I had a lot of just ma- amazing feelings being there. And uh, so I remember being on deck. First two guys get out. I think Larkin and Pokey Reese get out. Dimitri come, Young comes up. He's facing Todd Ritchie. Place is packed. A lot of friends. I've left 70 tickets. Um, Todd Ritchie gets Dimitri Young 0-2. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get up. And if I don't get up, now the Pirates have a chance to get the first hit. Like, things going through my head. So, Richie tries to come in, Dimitri. ends up rip, hitting him in the ribs. I'm like, oh, yes. I'm like, at least I got a shot. Like, here, I was like, I just want a chance to get the first hit. That's it. I just want a chance. And if I don't do it, it's on me, and it's all cool. And I think it was a one, 2 1 cutter, and it was, it was down and in. And I just remember, just like, you know, just really like, bam, I caught it out front. And when I hit it, you know, when you hit a ball good, you know if it's gone. And I hit it, I was like, oh, I literally, I mean, even right now I get the chills thinking about it, but like, oh, my God, that's gone. And I remember rounding first base and the ball went out and, you know, went into the stands and I was like rounding the bases. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I did it. Like, I got the first hit and it was a homer. I just can't believe it. I still can't believe it to this day. And don't, don't think, no, when I don't drive by there, every time we go downtown, I'm with my kids. I'm like, hey, kids. See that right there? That place, PNC Park. First hit, home run. My bad. No big hey. deal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all. That's a that's an incredible story. Yeah. I, yeah. That's one of my earliest sports memories is like watching that game on TV with my dad. I mean, I was I think I was in kindergarten, so I got out of school. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, him him not even being mad because you were a Pittsburgh guy, and he's like, "We'll allow it." And, and it's oh, also so cool great. that uh, Wayner had the last homer at Three Rivers. So it's it, oh. I mean it's. It shows that God's a yinzer, right? I mean, <laughs> it has to be. It's so true. It's so – isn't that so Pittsburgh for that to happen? Like, yeah. You know, God's looking down and saying, okay, this city loves their own. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we're going to make a yinzer John Wayner and a yinzer Sean Casey, the last at Three Rivers and the first at PNC Park. Yeah, it's so – so cool. God so forbid cool. a Clevelander, you know, hits a man <laughs> or something like that. And Lanny, Lanny Terry had the call, I think, and Lanny said – Pittsburgh zone, Upper St. Clair, Sean Casey, as I'm rounding the bases. So it's kind of a good call because, yeah. you know, history with Lanny too. So that's oh, really absolutely. Cool. We're going to get right back to my interview with Sean Casey. But first, a word from our sponsors. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you were with the Reds, obviously that was the prime of your career. Um, but you got to play with two guys that I absolutely idolized growing up, and Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Larkin. Uh, do you have any yeah. stories about either one of them that you know? Oh man, I'm sure you have a well, million of them. Well, Lark was just so good because when I first came up, you know, 
he was big with like I remember one story with Lark. Like when I in '99, I was raking, really having a good year, and I lined out a couple times. I kind of had that, you know. I just I, I used to get you know I used to get upset when I got out. You know, I was young. You know, what I mean, that's just how I thought. I want want to get a hit every time up. And I remember a couple players came up to me and they're like, "Hey, they're like, listen, we have guys. You're hitting 380. We have guys on the team hitting two two oh five, two ten, you know, and you're coming back and you're." Oh, you know, darn it. And, you know, you're going, you're, you're, you're yelling, you know, all this stuff. He's like, you know, you need to calm down a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and I'm my, it's my first full year in the business. So I'm like, okay, maybe they're right. Maybe they know something. I don't know, you know? So I remember Barry Lark in the next inning comes and sits next to me. He's like, Hey, what are you hitting? I'm like 380. And I, at the time I had a bunch of homers and he's like, well, you know, and we were in first place and he's like, all right, good. He's like, what are those? And he named the, the guy, one of the guys that come up to me and asked me, he's like, yeah, that guy's hitting 205. He goes, listen, you, I want you to be yourself. You just keep being who you are. If you feel like you got to yell, if you feel like you got to slam a helmet, do it. As long as you're hitting 380 and, and, and driving in runs for us, I want you to be you and don't change that. And like, I remember like, man, I, I was like, if Barry Larkin is saying this to me and has my back, then, you know, then I, then I know that I'm, I can be me. So that, I remember that was just, he was just such a great teammate and, uh, you know, a guy that I really, really looked up to and, and like really looked at his guidance for me. And playing with Junior, man, I mean, who wasn't the biggest Ken Griffey Jr. fan? Like, I, I just looked at my baseball cards the other day. I still have his 89 upper deck, you know what I mean, rookie card, you know, which is so cool. And I, you know, when he came in, you know, in 2000, um, it was just really cool. And we lockered next to each other. And, you know, watching Griff, just how smooth he played the game and, 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 and the sweetest swing the game's ever seen. I mean, mm -hmm. period. I don't care what anybody says. There'll never be a sweeter swing than Ken Griffey Jr., just how beautiful it was. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I got a couple stories about Griff, but, you know, one thing you always think about guys, he wasn't a big weightlifter. Like, Griff wasn't in the weight room, but he was just a big dude. And his dad, Ken Griffey Sr., was a big guy, big back, strong guys. You know, his dad was from Denora. You know, Griff used to always bust my chops. Junior used to bust my chops. Like, hey, bro, I was born in Pittsburgh. Like, you moved there when you were five. I'm like, hey, I lived there. I'm still living there. I'm like, you left when you were three. You know what I mean? So we'd always go back and forth about who was the real Pittsburgher. But, you know, Griff, every day, I, it was so funny. Every day when I'd go out, if I'd go hit early, Griff would be out there hitting. And he, you know, most people, they do batting practice. You know, your first round, you're spraying a couple of the left field, center field, right field, you're spraying. And then last couple rounds, you might, you know, juice a couple, you know, all over the place. And it was so funny. I go out and watch Griff when he'd come out and hit early by himself. It was like home run derby. Like he'd go three to left, homers, three to center, homer, three to right, homer. And it was just like he was literally just up there trying to drive the baseball. And I was like, oh, I guess that's how you become the, one of the greatest home run hitters of all time and one of the greatest players of all time. It's like he just expected to get his body into a position to drive the baseball, which I thought was, was really cool. Um, you know, those are two of the stories I have. I mean, it's, you know, just really, really unique. Two Hall of Fame players and, and great people and great teammates and just very grateful that I've played with them. Do you think if he stays healthy, he is remembered as the best player to ever play the game? Oh, 100%. I think. I mean, you know, he would have had 800-some home runs. I mean, he, when yeah. he came to us that second year, he blew out his hamstring in spring training and, like, he just never was able to get his legs back under him again. And he still ended up hitting 600 plus homers, 30 homers. I think he, you know, he would in the argument of 
Willie Mays and Barry Bonds and Hank Aaron and, you know, Griffey's right there for the greatest player ever, you know what I mean, uh, to ever play the game. This, this, I get this, this picture right here, can you see that? Yeah. So that's me and Lark, and there's a story there. Um, Lark, Adam Dunn hit a walk-off hit. And Lark came, scored the winning run, and I was waiting for him. And, and, and Lark knows when I get fired up, I come in hard, like big hugs, you know, boom, I hit you. Well, Lark's like a black belt, like Taekwondo or something, right? So he's like a tough dude. So I guess I'd hit him too, one, too hard one too many times. So I came in there. I'm not even – like I'm, I'm on deck. So I'm coming in like, yeah, we won the game. And Lark hits me so hard that my helmet pops off, and I'm like, and I thought he broke my ribs. I come in, I'm like, I go to hit him, and he, boom, he hits me, boom, like I was getting tackled. Like, he was really good at football, too. And, I, and like, so that was the great picture. He ended up writing something really kind to me. But that picture I always loved because I just remember him coming in just really giving it to me. And I remember, I remember he used to tell me a story when he went to Michigan. He was a really good football player, but he played baseball. And Bo, Schembeck, Bo Schembechler, who was obviously the big uh, football coach for Michigan at the time, he said whenever – you had to walk past uh, the, the baseball stadium to get to the football offices. And he said every practice, Schembechler <laughs> would, would be up on, up on top of the stadium going, hey, Larkin, you're a bum. You're a wimp. Come play a real sport. You know, and he said every practice he was yelling to Larkin about him not playing football at Michigan. So it's so funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you get traded to the Pirates. And you weren't, you weren't in Pittsburgh very long, but what was it like to get to play for your hometown team? Even if it was for just a half a season, you, you're on the team for opening day and just get yeah. to experience all that. Well, it was a dream come true for me because, you know, I, I absolutely I, – I, I always wanted to play for the Pirates. I didn't – you know, growing up as a kid, I just thought they were the only team in baseball. You know, you're a Pirate fan, you go to the games, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I – I took so much pride in wearing that uniform. I was so grateful. I remember being on deck one day and looking down at my jersey being like, oh, my God, I'm representing the city that I love. You know what I mean? I, I'm so grateful. And it was frustrating because we were not that good. It was, you know, not a good year, 2006. We just, you know, we weren't a good team. And, and that frustrated me even more. Um, and then I got hurt. I broke my back like the second week with the Pirates. And, you know, luckily I was able to come back and play. And I got traded to the Tigers, which was basically like, like Pittsburgh Central because Leland yeah. was the manager. Lamont was the bench coach, third base coach. Andy Van Slyke was the first base coach. Raphael Belliard was the infield coach. Donnie Slot was the hitting coach. Lloyd McClendon was the um, bullpen. It was a joke. So I was like, wow, this is great. I, now these are like, these are the guys I grew up loving, like yeah. you know, idolizing. So it's the it Pirates, really, but they're good. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally, seriously, it was yeah. literally like going from the outhouse to the penthouse as far as like yeah. organizations at the time. We were I went from the worst team in baseball to the best, but I felt like I stayed in Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so weird. So, weird. so, so I was going to say, uh, that was my second question about the Pirates was, uh, after, how long did it take for all of that like, excitement to wear off and be like, all right, I would like to play for a good team now? <laughs> well, that was my ninth year in the big league. So I, I knew that like, you know, I had so many lean years with the Reds. You know, we just had some, you know, just we had really good offenses, some bad pitching. And it was just frustrating. And then when I went to the Pirates, I was like, man, Jim Tracy was great. Great manager. Dave Littlefield was great. Uh, you know, even Kevin McClatchy. I liked Kevin a lot. But we were – we had no money in the team. And we were just – we weren't we weren't good, you know. And, and so, you know, it just 
it was so gratifying for me being my ninth year getting traded. Like one phone call, I was in first place. You know what I mean? And I was with the Tigers and I was with Leland and that was like, and we ended up going to the World Series. It just was like so cool for me. So how cool is it to get to play for Leland, a guy, I mean, I, I Jim, I interviewed him. He was on this show just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, oh. And, and uh, he, yeah, I mean, awesome interview. Great guy. But how cool yeah. was it to get to play for the guy that you grew up watching manage those 90s Pirates teams? The be- I mean, the best. Like, I look back at my career and th- those that year and a half in Detroit, like, playing for Leland, I mean, priceless. I, every – Every big leaguer should have had a chance to play for Jim Leland. That's, that's how I feel. It's like one of those experiences, you know. I played in Boston my last year in 08, got to play for Tito, which was close to the Leland experience. I means Tito is so wonderful. But it's that same experience playing in Boston. You're like, oh, man, every big leaguer should get a chance to play in Boston. You know what I mean? Like, it's so cool. And I feel a way about Leland. Like, every big leaguer should get a chance to play for Jim Leland. Like, so, I mean, when I first got there my first day, like, you know, I wasn't – you know, it was so funny. I, he called me that morning. He's like, could you be in Tampa tonight, Case? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll be in Tampa. If I got to run there, I'll be in Tampa, you know? I'm like, so, so you know, we end up – I get in Tampa. The, 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 we're at my, I'm at my locker. The media is all around me. They're like, hey, how do you feel about being here? Are you excited? I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited. You know what I mean? I'm excited to be here, you know, and, and, and you know, be in first place. And so as I'm talking to the media, Leland comes over. He's like, hey, let me talk to Case real quick. So I'm like, hey, I got to go, guys. So he takes me. We go back in the office. It's Gene Lamont. McClendon and Leland. He's like, I'm like, what's up, guys? Like, hey, what's up, Case? Great to have you here. And I've known those guys just because pl- playing against them all these years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, so Leland's like, all right, Gino, give Case the signs. So he's like, Kate, Gino's like, all right, Case, here's the signs, man. I go through the signs. Boom, I go to my ear. It's hot. He goes, and he goes, and now if I go to my, my uh, hat, it's a hit and run. Now I can go through his signs and I could take it off, but that's the one sign we're going to give you. are probably not going to bunt for us, right? So look for the hit and run from Gene. And so then Leland's like, all right, Gino, you done? He goes, Case, now stay with me on this one. He goes, for the hit and run, you're looking down there at Gino when you're in the box. Now you get on first base. He goes, you get on first base with a hit or a walk. He goes, I don't want you looking over at Gino anymore. I want you looking in the dugout. He goes, stay with me. If I come up to that top step and we catch eyes, as soon as we catch eyes, if I jump and never come back down, you steal. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and I was so locked into the conversation. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, this guy's busting my chops. This guy's busting my chops for being slow. So it was like my first conversation with Leland was that. Like, he had such a great way of just breaking the ice and welcoming you in. So, so funny. So I heard you tell a story on MLB Network one time uh, about Jim Leland and his uh, smoking habit in the dugout and how you got hit by a pitch and you were afraid to uh, – uh, yeah, could you tell that story yeah. about how you were afraid to yeah. approach him about the cigarette smoke or while he was smoking? Yeah, we were facing oh – gosh, who was I facing? Um, with the, we were facing the White Sox. I'm drawing a blank on who the pitcher was. Um, but he threw me like a 95-mile-an-hour cutter. And, you know, a cutter is – on a lefty, a cutter comes in and it starts tracing you. You know, it comes in and tries to jam you inside. So, I mean, I think it was a cold day. It was probably like April or May, but in Detroit, that's cold. Oh, you yeah. know? So he throws me a, a cutter in, and it just starts hunting me. And I'm trying to get out of the way, and it's hunting my back elbow. And, it, bam, it hits me right in the funny bone. Like, the pain that I felt on that was phenomenal. Like, I've been hit by a ton of pitches. But to get hit right in the elbow, like, 
but right where that, you know, where the funny bone hits. That little ball there. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I've so, taken some. Yeah. Oh, the worst. And I go down and I'm just like, oh my God, my body is like numb. Literally, literally, literally. It's numb. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, my left side of my body is completely numb. Leland comes out. He's like, hey, hey. Now I'm down. I just can't move. I, I'm like, I'm tr- I want to go to first because I'm like, I got to get going. Like, I got I to gotta get rolling here. But I can't move. I'm like paralyzed, right? So Leland comes out. He's like, hey, what's going on, Case? You all right? I'm like, ah, not really, Skip. Hey, could you stay in the game? And Leland was one of those guys, like, you didn't want him to see. He was old school. You didn't want to see him in the – you didn't want to be seen by him in the training room. You didn't want to you – you just wanted to show up. You know, you want to make sure you're in the lineup. Make sure you're playing hard. Make sure you're early. That kind of stuff. So, you know, Leland says, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. You know, he's like, well, well why are you still in the box? I'm like, oh, I can't feel the freaking left side of my body, but hang on a second. Let me, you know, so, so I, I get all right. I run down to first base and I'm like, okay, at least in the net, there's two outs. So I'm like, there's, you know, my, my, my feeling will come back soon. So feeling never comes back. Inning ends, I go in, I go into the dugout. I'm like, I can't lift my arm and I'm a first baseman. Obviously I have to, yeah. get, I can't still move this arm. And I'm barely, I can barely move anything, right? And the pain is still piercing into my head. So I'm like, I go to Gene Lamont. I'm like, Gino, I was like, I don't think I can go back out there. I was like, I can't feel my arm. He's like, all right, Case. He goes, go tell Leland. I'm like, go tell Leland? He's like, yeah. Well, Leland, after every half inning, he'd go down to his chair like this, sit down, head down, heater in his hand, just, <gasps> he just crushed. He might crush two heaters within my, you know, a minute and a half. It was just he'd one he'd he'd one rip them. Just boom. There's a heat, and he like the other one. Just and he would just be crushing them. And you're like, oh my god, this is like a pit bull with like a freaking big ribeye in front of him. Like you would never go to that pit bull and try and pet him, right? You you, you know you would be like, I'm not touching that guy. So he was like, go talk to Leland. Tell him you got to come out of the game. I'm like, oh my god. So I'm like, so it, you know, it was like a crossroads in my life. Like, do I go back out to the field and just wear one right in the face because I can't move my arm? Or do I tell Jim Leland I got to come out of the game while he's smoking, right, in between half innings? So, so I go up to him. I'm like, Skip. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm like, hey, I, I can't feel my arm. I don't think I can go out there. He's like, bah. he's all flustered. Wah, wah. He's like, all right, tell Gino to get Marcus Timms out there at first. Go up there and ice your elbow. He's like, don't ever bother me again when I'm, when I'm smoking heaters. I'm like, ah, ah, you know. So I literally just, boom, I bolted up to the clubhouse, got my ice, and I was like, but it was like a dicey, there's a dicey 10 minutes there in my life. Oh, I mean, that, that's like, <laughs> that's, I mean, Jim Leland's known for a lot more than just smoking cigarettes, obviously. Yes. But like, when oh, he, yes. like, but that's part of the allure to him. When like, you think about his Pittsburgh days, him smoking cigarettes just in the dugout. And like, as yeah. someone you, like you, who grew up watching him do that. And it's like, now I have to interrupt him during this. And, yeah. and it's, it's, I mean, I couldn't imagine yeah. the fear that it, would ensue. It, it, it was so much, so much fear. And like you said, Le- Jim Leland's the greatest, I think the greatest one of the greatest managers ever. Cooperstown is crazy if, if Jim Leland isn't in Cooperstown. But, yeah, his aura of smoking heaters in the dugout was, like, such a big thing for us growing up in Pittsburgh. Like, oh, it's so great, man. He's a real Yenzer. You know, he's smoking oh, heaters yeah. in the dugout. You know? <laughs> All he needed, you know, like, was to get a folding chair to mark his space on the bench. You know, like, that would make him even more. But... Yeah. We're going to take another quick break, but when we return, our third and final segment with Sean Casey here on Memory Lane. So in 2006, you get an opportunity to play in the World Series, and you really battled through uh, some stuff. I read that you tore your calf 
in the ALCS, mm-hmm. partially tore your calf. Yeah. But in the World Series in five games, you hit 432 with two homers. No. No, nope, 529, 529. 529, man. The internet, you can't trust no, it. No, what's going on with your stats, bro? I, I mean, I, I looked this up. and Maybe that was your postseason average was 432. I hit, yeah, I hit 432 for the postseason. I hit okay, that's it. All right, so that was – I was – Partially incorrect there, but we'll we'll call that a tie. Anyway, no problem, bro. no problem. Because no four thirty two was a Tigers post uh, postseason record. Yeah. That was yes. it. Okay. Yes. See, I I gotta make show the listeners I'm not a complete idiot. Anyway, you have a great World Series, hit over five hundred. Uh, yep. How do you battle through that? I mean, I, I mean, it's obvious that nothing was gonna stop you from playing in this World Series. But yeah. I mean, on one leg, how do you manage yeah. to just play the best baseball of your life? Well, it's crazy, you know. Um, I blew up my calf the first day of the, game one of the ALCS in Oakland. <clears throat> and uh, I tore the fascia of my muscle. And uh, I had a friend of mine who was a rolfer. A rolfing, it's like a, it's like a technique, a massage technique. And he, it really gets in the fascia of the muscle. So right when I tore my calf, I thought, man, this guy, M- Michael Waller, you know, who, who did this rolfing, I was like, I got to get him to Detroit. So he came to Detroit, worked on me for like 11 days, you know, and the, and the training staff helped me a lot. So it was a lot of different moving parts trying to just get my calf back. You know what I mean? You know, a lot of stuff with the trainers and Kevin Rand and those guys in Detroit. Michael Waller, the rolfer, he kind of was working on me outside of the field. And I didn't think I was going to play. But the greatest – one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was we swept Oakland, but then the Mets and the Cardinals end up going to seven games with a rainout. So it, it gave me 11 days before game one of the World Series – Without, I literally needed all 11 days. Like if it was day 10, I wouldn't have played. Day 11, I was able to DH. And, uh, you know, I was not going to not play. Like I was like, tape it, give me drugs, do, uh, shoot, do something. Like give me needles. I mean, mm-hmm. I need, I, I can, I need to play in the World Series. Like I know how hard it is to get here. Like I, I, I played nine years in the big leagues and I've, I've never been playing the postseason. Like I know how hard it is to get to the ALDS, let alone the World Series. So I end up playing. I end up, they end up getting me ready to play, you know, the training staff and, and uh, you know, my buddy, Michael Waller. And, uh, you know, I was, I was able to play. And it's amazing because, you know, a true, a true Pittsburgh story here, Donnie Slot and Van Slyke, you know, were like instrumental in that time because when I was coming back, I started towards the end of the year and that last week of the season, I got really hot. And I was doing this drill with Vance Slyke. It was – he was throwing me batting – Andy Vance Slyke was still jacked and had a cannon, right? He was throwing me batting practice from the normal distance in the cages. And he was, like, throwing as hard as he could. It was, like, 100 miles an hour. It was gas. And the whole drill was that. I was like, you're going, and, and, and if the ball's a strike, you're going to go. And if it's a ball, you take it, right? So I was, like, really trained in my eyes at the time. And so when I came back, getting ready for the World Series, I was doing this drill every day with Van Slyke, you know, in the tunnel. Every, I'd come at like 1 o'clock, and we'd hit for like 30 minutes, just he and I and Sluggo. And they got me – they just got my eyes so locked in that, like, that 11 days off, it was still – I was still okay because, you know, my eyes were, like, right on the money. I couldn't explain it. And I remember game three, we went to St. Louis before game three got canceled. I'm in the tunnel with Van Slyke hitting – and I remember having a moment, like, I went back to that 11-year-old kid that hit the white Camaro. You know what I mean? 
And I literally just put my bat down. I looked at Vance like I said, hey, man, I just want to tell you, I know this is my ninth year in the big leagues, and this might sound a little weird, but you were like my hero growing up. And I can't believe you're throwing me BP, taking time out of your day to get me ready to play in the World Series. Like I said, it's just I'm having an out-of-body 11-year-old fat kid experience. You know what I mean? Like I, I just – I can't believe Andy Van Slyke's throwing me batting practice and I'm getting ready to go play in the World Series for the Detroit Tigers and Jim Leland's my manager. Like it was, So it's just a funny story, like a side Pittsburgh story of like felt like such a little kid, you know, during that World Series with Van Slyke throwing me every day. I mean, yeah, and just to add to it, like you said, like all the coaches, and then there's players you probably grew up watching. Wasn't Ivan Rodriguez Pudge your catcher on yeah. that team? Yeah, I Pudge mean, there's – Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. There's so many good players on that team. Yeah. But, yeah, Pudge was the catcher. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, quick uh, stop in Boston where you end your career. You get to play for Terry Francona. Um, you talked about Leland being a Hall of Famer. Would you agree that Tito belongs in the Hall of Fame as well? Oh, hands down. Terry – I mean, I, I'm so lucky because my last three in the years in the big leagues, you know, Tito's a, a Yunzer too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, New Brighton. We, we always we joked around about that. Yeah, he would always be like, New Brighton hot dog shop, you know, yeah. Brighton hot dogs, you know. So, so you know, Tito was the best. And, gosh, I mean, playing for Leland for, the la- for 06 and 07 and Tito 08, like I look back at my career now knowing I go, oh, man, I, I'm just a, I'm the most fortunate dude that's ever walked the space of the earth. Like I have so much gratitude for, for that, for that part of my career and just, you know, all of it. So cool. But Terry Francona is the greatest. He's funny. He's, he's great communicator. He knows the game and, you know, just that's why he wins everywhere he goes. You know, he wins everywhere he goes. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that happened uh, during your time with the Red Sox, you, you, there was a brawl between the Rays and the Red Sox. It's, it's a, you know, pound for pound, one of the better. Ball. Yeah, it was, it was a, a really was, good one. It was, a, it was really Coco good. Crisp. Uh, what what was the build up to that? Because I was watching it yesterday on YouTube, and yeah. the the broadcasters were saying they knew Coco was going to get hit. What did he do to have that build up? There was a second baseman. I can't remember his name. Aki Iwamura. Yeah. Yeah. Iwamura. Yes. Yes. So Iwamura was the second baseman, and in like the first or second inning. Coco went in to break up a double play and came in hard. And I think he, he went out of his way to get Iwamura and flipped him. And I remember the whole dugout was going nuts. They're like, yeah, we're going to get you. And that just everybody, it was just, it got really passionate to say the least. Right. And I think Shields, Shields was barking at Coco running off. So we're like, Ooh, wow, this just got tense. It got fast. You know, and, it, and it, you know, it's at Fenway park too. So it's, they're really good. And we're in the midst of a pennant race and, mm-hmm. Fenway Park is sold out. And so next time Coco came up, I think Shields threw one at him and then behind him. It was it was it was close. Like I think he threw one up and in. And I remember I remember like like I remember turning the dugout. I was like, get ready, boys, we're about to roll. Like, get ready, like <laughs> get on the top step because it's happening. You know, it's like William Wallace, like getting ready to go to battle, you know. So so the next pitch I think is behind him where he drills him, and then Coco's like, here we go, it's on. He goes flying out. And now Coco was a gold glove boxer back in the day in high school, I guess. You know, like if you don't know that little tidbit. So James Shields throws a freaking haymaker when you watch that. Yeah. And, 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 and like Coco like goes into like Keanu Reeves matrix. Like, yeah. Wham, he does. And then he wham, 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 throws a, a three-man combo, right? And I'm running out there like, like Leland said. I'm not that fast, but I, I feel so fast right now. I'm like, I'm trying to get somebody. I'm like, who am I going for, you know? 
And when I look at the replay, if you go back and look at the replay, I, Johnny Gomes and a That's couple it. other guys had, had come out, and they're unloading on Coco. And I was so focused on getting shields that I ran right by Coco getting crushed. <laughs> so, so I go right by Coco getting crushed, right to James Shields. And I go to throw a punch to James Shields. And I'm like, why am I – you know, it's like one of those moments you're like, out of another out-of-body experience, I'm like, I'm going to throw a punch at James Shields. Like, what am I doing here? So I go to throw a punch at James Shields. Right when I go to throw a punch, DeMarlo Hale, who's our third base coach, big dude, DeMarlo ends up grabbing, <clears throat> grabbing um, uh, James Shields and pulls him down. So now, no, I, I'm like this, and, like, no one's there. So I'm like, oh, God. I throw this, like, wimpiest, like, almost like a macho man Randy Savage elbow onto the mound. Like, I throw a punch, but then I, like, roll to the mound, and I hit the mound. I, I think I'll even hurt myself. I'm like, oh, I hurt. You know, like, Geez. So now it's like bedlam, you know, and then somebody puts me in a – Justin Ruggiano, I think that was his name. He has me in a headlock, and I'm like, how did I get in a headlock? I'm like, I haven't even hit anybody. So anyway, it's mayhem. It's a full French brawl. Like, it, it, and they're nerve-wracking. When you get out there, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, like, it, adrenaline everywhere. There's testosterone everywhere, right? So, you know, whatever. I, you know, I'm in the dugout, and I remember, you know, Terry Francona, because he's like, hey, Case, you're, you're ejected. I'm like, I'm ejected for what? They're like, you threw a punch. I was like, a punch? I was like, I threw, like, an elbow drop, like, like WWE wrestling. Like, it's ridiculous, right? So, so anyway, I, appeal, I, I, I get three-game suspension, which mm-hmm. is unbelievable. I get three. So, I appeal, and I'm in the – I'm in the I'm in the you know, room with Theo Epstein and Bob Watson at the time, who was the president. He's like, I'm like, Bob, how did I get a three-game suspension? I didn't, I didn't do anything. He goes, as soon as you go like this case, three games. <laughs> I said, what? You wow. just got to go like this to get three games. But, you know, it was, it was uh, but yeah, so, and I remember, uh, you know, at least Coco Christ, he, you know, he thanked me after it was all like, hey, thanks for having my back. I was like, eh, you know, no problem. I was like, all tough. I was like, I didn't really do anything, but thanks a lot. No problem. It's like the movie Semi Pro. You ever see that where they fight during the commercial break? The oh, Will, was Ferrell? That with Will Ferrell, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the basketball. Somebody hit somebody. <laughs> then it comes back when the TV comes back or whatever, and the, they know the commissioner's watching, and they all just, you know, walk to the benches. Right, 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 right. So, so finishing this up here, I wanted to ask you about two other things. Um, you, you had a successful baseball career, but I'd argue that your career after baseball has been just as successful with MLB Network and broadcasting. I mean, you've really made a name yeah. for yourself in the media industry as well. Uh, my first question, what do you prefer, prefer doing more? Do you like being a, a studio analyst in MLB Network, or do you prefer doing color commentary? Oh, that's, a great, that's a great question, because I do get that question. That's, I, I like the studio analyst, you know, being a studio analyst more like I do like the games. I do like doing games every once in a while, you know, and really breaking down the, the matchup between the pitcher and the hitter and the strategy and stuff like that. But, you know, being a studio analyst for MLB Network is so great because we bounce in and out of games. It's almost like March Madness. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're rolling in and out of games. We have Studio 42 where you can go do demos and you can hit some wiffle balls off Billy Ripken, flip into you or something, you know, stuff like that. So I, 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 I like being in the booth every once in a while, but I really love being in the studio. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that would be your answer because, like, I mean, you look at your social media, you have videos of you doing the tea work, and also, like, I, I feel like you're just a guy who doesn't like sitting down a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Active, so. nah, um, yeah, I like moving. Have you – do you have any aspirations to, like, just have, like, a podcast or a radio show or something like that where you can just, you know, unwind and tell stories, or are you just content with what you're doing now? No, no, I definitely have thought about that. You know, I, I have definitely thought about doing a podcast or something like that. I, I just haven't followed through with it yet. You know, I think at some point I'll definitely do, might do something. 
uh, you know, with a podcast. Um, I don't know exactly where that, you know, is it baseball? Is it life? Is it storytelling? Is it, you know, I mean, is it, so, you know, I'd have to figure that out, but yeah, I think at some point here, I'll definitely do something like that. All right. And uh, my last question for you now, um, charity work, you do a ton of it, especially in this area. Can you just shine some light on some of the things you're doing for people who don't know and uh, who maybe want to get involved or help out or contribute in any way, shape or form? Well, my charity is the Miracle League of the South Hills. You know, we yeah. started it like 10 years ago and we have over 350 kids and we're in the middle of a new project. We're building, um, we're building a concession stand that we're going to use as a job training facility for our kids. So we're going to have our kids interview. We're going to have a real interview, you know, have them fill out a resume, teach them how to do that, teach them how to interview, then have them work there. And we're going to try and partner up with other, other, um, other companies in the area to hire our kids. So we're really excited about that. So we're in the midst of fundraising for that, you know, COVID hasn't helped us as far as that goes. So, you know, we're always looking for anybody who has any year end funds, they want to help out Miracle League of the South Hills. You can go to miracleleaguesouthhills.org and, and, and donate or, or, uh, you know, contact me on Twitter like you did or something like that. And we can, you know, maybe get a something, but you know, it's a wonderful thing, man. It's a wonderful program. It's, it's one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Um, if there's real joy in those miracle leagues with this, with our kids that are, you know, we have kids that are autistic, cerebral palsy, down syndrome. We have so many special kids out there and uh, it's been a wonderful thing. And, and, you know, that's probably, probably been one of my biggest passions. Um, and also, uh, you know, light of life downtown is a place that I, you know, try and try and frequent, but they, they do a you know great job of serving, serving, um, you know, men and women down uh, that are, that are down in their luck. Um, it's just a great, great place to, uh, to donate to. So, you know, if anyone's looking to donate their money or donate their time, you know, those are two, two great places to start. All right. Well, Sean, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to talk about uh, all the good stuff and go down memory lane. All right, Noah, thanks a lot, man. Really enjoyed it and uh, enjoy, enjoyed your prep. Thank you, man.